0: Good morning to everybody. My voice isn't normally that loud, but um, as John said, it was 2006 that um, uh, my wife Sarah and I, we first walked through the doors of this place, and um, I had no idea how it was going to change my life. Um, I uh, I was coming from a Catholic background, and when we got married, Sarah said she wanted to find a church that was non-denominational, and, and so I, you know, said, fine, let's, you know, you go ahead and find somewhere, and um, we found CFCF, and uh, I was initially a little bit weirded out, so I was like, okay, they meet in a gym, all right, wow, you know, it was just totally off my grid, um, but I want to say, Jeff's not here, but I want to brag on him, because it was because of Jeff, um, Jeff was actually preaching that Sunday, I was there, he was the... Um, he was leading at the time because Sean Richmond was on vacation. Jeff came up, introduced himself, and then started discipling me. And um, if, if he had told me then that one day I would be up here sharing a message, I would probably laughed him out of the room. So uh, it's, it's truly a joy to be here, and it's truly very humbling as well um, to be here with you. So, but it's, it's great to see a lot of familiar faces and a lot of new faces too. So what are we going to talk about today well we as a movement have been in a series entitled what if and it's basically been an apologetics series addressing some tough questions Uh, I believe you had Brian Marcioni a couple of weeks ago talking about what if uh, hell is real Uh, we've had some sermons on what if uh, suffering exists or God allows suffering Um, and I always feel when when we use the word apologetics I feel it's important to explain what that means because until probably a couple of years ago, I didn't know what it meant. And I thought apologetics was some kind of um, area where you basically spend time apologizing for your faith. So I really had had this picture in my head of, of, you know, uh, I'm really sorry guys, I'm a Christian. Um, I do believe Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, but I hope we can still be friends, okay? Um, (laughs) Okay. That's what I thought it was. But no, actually what apologetics is, um, it comes from the Greek word apologia, which basically means to make a defense of. So it's basically the area of um, giving reasons and explanations for why we believe what we believe. And we have nothing to be afraid of in that area because what we believe is the truth. Um, it has its uh, scriptural backing um, in First Peter Uh, Chapter 3, verse 15, where Peter writes, um, Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. So it's right there in the Bible that, you know, Peter's encouraging us. Believe in the Lord, believe in Jesus, but then know why you believe what you believe. Especially the world we live in today. It's more important than ever that we know how to explain what we believe to people who hold a secular world view. So, I want us to uh, begin by reading a bit of Scripture together. I think it's great. There's power in corporately reading God's Word together. So, let's, uh, let's just read this together, okay? The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of His hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words No sound is heard from them. Yet their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. In the heavens, God has pitched a tent for the sun. That's from Psalm 19. So today we're going to talk about what if science and religion don't conflict. What if science and religion don't conflict? And we framed the question deliberately like that because I'm hoping today that what we're going to see is they don't really conflict at all. If there is any conflict, it's superficial. And it's not really a deep conflict that can be a barrier to our faith. I want to start with a disclaimer, which is that I am not a scientist. Um, I'm a musician and a theologian. Um, So I don't know if that makes me a theological musician or a musical theologian. (laughs) but I'm not a scientist. <clears throat> I realize there's a number of you in the room who are scientists and I probably know a lot more about the, the realm of science than I do, but um, I've done my best to, to fact check things and, and hopefully uh, be pretty accurate with what we talk about. So the first thing I want to do is let's, let's, def- let's give some definitions. Let's define the word science and let's define the word religion. And so to help me with these definitions, I went to the Oxford Dictionary, because that's a proper dictionary. Um, they spell words correctly. They put use in, you know, words like flavor and neighbor. So let's define science. And these are, these are ballpark definitions, right? They're both very, very hard words to really define. But here's what we have for science. Science is the intellectual and practical activity encompassing the systematic study of the structure and behavior of the physical and natural world through observation and experiment." So really science in a nutshell deals with two main issues. The cause of things and the origins of things. That's, you know, that's very broadly what science is about. Now let's define religion. Religion, a set of beliefs concerning the cause, nature and purpose of the universe sounding like science so far Um, especially when considered as the creation of a superhuman human agency or agencies usually involving devotional and ritual observances and often containing a moral code governing the conduct of human affairs a subcategory another definition of religion which I found very interesting was something one believes in and follows devotedly so we have some basic definitions to work with there. And I will use the word religion and faith somewhat interchangeably uh, as we continue this morning. I realize they're not exactly the same. Next thing I want to do is I want to level the playing field. And I'm going to level the playing field by making what some people might think is a rather controversial statement. It's not really, but here's the statement. Everyone is a believer and everyone is religious. Everyone is a believer And everyone is religious. What do I I mean by that? Well, even the most hardened atheist makes faith statements. When an atheist declares God does not exist, they are making a statement of faith. There's absolutely no way they can definitively prove God does not exist. Often, atheists will say that the proof, on the believer to prove that God exists but I say to the atheist you prove to me that God doesn't exist and you'll make a believer out of me moving on so atheists make faith statements obviously people of faith make faith statements all the time it's one of the things that pleases God the most is when we have faith scientists too make faith claims they declare faith in human reason faith in our ability to observe record and interpret history faith that the scientific method is a valid way of acquiring knowledge ironically you can't prove the scientific method by the scientific method it's important to realize science is a good thing the media A lot of the secular world will like to pit science and religion against each other. they like us to see a conflict. But as believers, we have to realize science is a good thing. It does lots of really good things. It helps us understand how things work. How to manage the resources of a world. Helps us understand our health. It gives us medicine. Helps us understand our own biology. Our origins. Helps us appreciate the beauty of the world. Technology is a double-edged sword, of course, but it blesses us in so many ways. So there's lots of good things about science. However, there's certain things science cannot cover, cannot deal with. Science tells us nothing about ethics and morals. Science doesn't tell us that it's wrong to murder or torture people. That's a value statement. Physics, biology, chemistry, any of the sciences, they can't address those kind of questions. If you declare something as valuable, you are making a value statement. You're exercising numerous unverifiable beliefs, i.e. that people have worth, that we have dignity, that murder and torture violates this dignity, that such violations are morally wrong. Science cannot address any of that. It can't do such things as tell us if love and hate are real. It can't tell us how much love weighs or how far you can throw hate So religions i sorry science is good there's things it can address and there's things it can't address and religion and faith is the same way Despite a lot of bad press that religion gets in general and the media reports we see of you know just atrocities uh, that have been committed by um, so-called religious groups like ISIS and you know even things like the Westboro Baptist Church okay religion gets a, a bad press a lot of the time but Religious beliefs help us form a moral code that when understood properly, especially, I believe, from a, a Judeo-Christian point of view, uh, they help us care for and love each other. Right? It, they do give us a grounding in reality of what human worth is. Remember, it's from Genesis that we get the, the, the concept, the understanding that we are made in the image of God. That's where our dignity starts, knowing that we are image bearers of our Lord and Savior. It can give us a purpose, a direction in life. Religion can tell us that murder and torture are wrong. But just like science, there's things religion can't do. It can't tell you the molecular density of iron. It can't tell you how certain diseases attack us, our immune system. It can't figure out vaccines for those diseases. When I talk about religion, I also, of course, think of the word, right? the Word of God. And it's important to understand that to expect the Bible to address modern scientific concerns is grossly misguided. For example, if somebody was to ask the question, what is the air velocity of an unladen swallow? And I wanted to know the answer, European or African, by the way. I'm not going to go to a phone book to get the answer, am I? It's not why a phone book was written. I'm not going to think, okay, let's see. Let's, let's look under S for swallow. No, you're just going to find a long list of Smiths. So certain things the Bible was written for and certain things that it, it wasn't. Okay, and that's okay. So what we can see from this is that science and religion can be both good and bad. And the common denominator is us, people, humanity. It's how we use these gifts. You know, as we know, science does many wonderful things, but it's also been used to create weapons of mass destruction, biological and chemical warfare, um, nuclear weapons. We are sitting in this room, one of only a very few uh, generations of people who live with the knowledge that we have the ability and capacity to completely obliterate all life on this planet that was not something that was not a cloud people had over them a uh, hundred two hundred years ago religion 's the same way we all know very well religion is abused all the time and used to hurt people to justify all kinds of atrocities and again, the common denominator is us, it's people and how we use science and religion. So as I said at the beginning, ultimately I don't believe religion and science conflict. In fact when understood properly, actually what they do is they complement each other because they're addressing different facets of life and our existence. You know, ultimately truth affirms truth. So the truth in here is going to affirm the truth of what we find in science. What I believe is, I believe the real conflict is between faith or religion and a point of view known as naturalism. Naturalism. So how do we define naturalism? Well, it's a philosophy. And here's a definition. It's a belief system that only natural, as opposed to supernatural or spiritual laws and forces, operate in the world Adherents of naturalism who we call naturalists assert that natural laws are the rules that govern the structure and behavior of the natural universe that the changing universe at every stage is a product of these unguided laws very important so therefore to the naturalist there's no such thing as miracles Miracles don't exist because they can't happen in the natural world. That means all the miracles that we read about in the Bible didn't happen. And guess what didn't happen? The resurrection didn't happen because that just doesn't happen in the natural world. Now, it's important to note that not all scientists are naturalists and not all naturalists are scientists. But naturalism does invariably and inevitably lead to atheism. Because it declares there is no God, that everything happens by unguided, random chance that you and I are a cosmic accident and we have no purpose or meaning. We're about out of time, so I'm going to leave the message there. <laughs> See what would happen if we did though? It's not a very uplifting thought, the naturalistic worldview. Now, as I said, many scientists are not naturalists. There are many God-fearing, God-believing scientists in the world, and I, I guess there's quite a number of you in this room today. But there are also a lot of scientists who hold a naturalistic worldview. And the, the funny thing is that while they would deny they are the least bit religious, they are, in fact, devotees of a religion known as scientism. I promise you I'm not making this up. Scientism. It is a real world view held by many scientists. And it's the view that um, the characteristic inductive method of the natural sciences are the only source of genuine factual knowledge. And in particular, that they alone can yield true knowledge about ourselves. So if you're part of scientism, you really believe this is all there is, the naturalistic worldview. You can't have miracles. You can't Uh, believe that there is a creator or there is design in nature or anything like that. Nope, it all happened by chance. Sounds a lot like a faith statement to me. The ironic thing is if you hold this worldview, it takes away from the objectivity that science is supposed to have. Because now what you're doing is you're taking the raw data that science collects and you're actually trying to mold it into your naturalistic worldview. Right? So you're trying to make the facts fit what you believe. So, here's what I mean. We've been throwing a lot of technical words out there and definitions. So, let's take a break and let's look at some pretty pictures. Okay, We've got to do it, right? So, take a look at this first picture here. <clears throat> this is... Um, picture of a rose window at York Minster, which is in York, England. It's a big stained glass window. I've seen the, the thing in the, in the flesh, and it's, it's magnificent. By a show of hands, looking at that, who would say or who would agree that something or someone designed and created that? Right. A couple of hardcore skeptics in here. But yeah, most of us will look at that. It obviously has obvious signs of symmetry, geometry, um, maybe not geometry, um, design. Now take a look at this. That is the view along the axis of the beta DNA double helix. If you look at that, it's so much more magnificent than the rose window. The colors are so much more vibrant. The complexity and detail of it, so, so, so deeper. And yet, the very same people who would agree that that window, rose window, had been designed would look at that and tell you, no, that, that all happened by complete chance. No, la, la, la. It's like a little kid putting their fingers in their ears saying, I, la, la, I'm not listening. <laughs> right? <laughs> no, nope, they don't want to hear it. Really amazing. The complexity and beauty of creation, when you look at it, implies there is a creator. That there is design in creation. It's all around us. I was just walking here this morning and just observing all the beauty around us. The colors, the trees, the flowers. If it all just happened by random chance, why, is there, why are there so many beautiful colors? Why, why wouldn't it all just be kind of like gray gook? It happened by chance. The mathematical chances of our world existing the way it does are huge, absolutely gigantic. Take, for example, gravity. If gravity was slightly stronger, all stars would be blue giants, and if gravity was slightly weaker, all stars would be red dwarfs, and the world as we know it today would not be able to exist. Stephen Hawking, um, the world famous um, <coughs> theoretical physicist, said in his bestseller Brief History of Time, he said, if the rate of expansion one second after the Big Bang had been smaller by even one part in a hundred thousand million million, I don't even know that number existed, the universe would have recollapsed before it ever reached its present size think about that the odds it's almost mathematically impossible that without a design and without somebody guiding that it would not have happened we would not be here did I mention the Big Bang I think I did right we talked about the Big Bang right there what's the Big Bang kind of a problem for naturalistic scientists why? Because it implies the universe had a beginning and thus had a cause, and something or someone that caused it, when they discovered I believe it was back in the '20s, pictures of the Hubble Telescope revealing that things were pointing back to a, a, a universe that had a beginning. It was a real, real shock for a lot of the scientific community, because until then they'd always thought that the, the universe had, was eternal and that it had always existed. Because if you believe that, then that really uh, means that um, you can deny God exists. But now we have a start point. Something caused the bang. So despite all these pointers towards what seems like an obvious creator, people still stubbornly refuse to admit this. And uh, Paul writes... In Second Timothy 4, verses 3 and 4, he says, For the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. It's what we love to do as human beings. We love turning aside to myths. We love creating idols. We love worshipping anything but God, it seems, because ultimately we were designed to worship. It's inbuilt in us. We're gonna, if you don't worship God, you're going to worship something else. Robert Jastrow is a highly respected scientist who is uh, the director of the Mount Wilson Observatory and founder of NASA's Goddard Institute of Space Studies. How cool is that? like what do you do well I uh, (laughs) I found Institute of Space Studies (laughs) we plant churches he plants Institutes of Space Studies (laughs) he makes this observation though he says theologians are generally generally delighted with the proof that the universe had a beginning and we are but astronomers are curiously upset their reactions provide an interesting demonstration of the response of the scientific mind, supposedly a very objective mind, when evidence uncovered by itself leads to conflict with the articles of faith in our profession. His profession meaning the science world. It turns out that the scientist behaves the way the rest of us do when our beliefs are in conflict with the evidence. We become irritated and we pretend the conflict does not exist or we paper it over with meaningless phrases. Let's just throw a bunch of crazy data at you so that you're so confused you don't know what to do except think they're really clever so they probably know what they're talking about. (laughs) So what does scripture tell us? Well, it tells us quite a bit actually. It tells us that God's handiwork and creative genius are everywhere. They're everywhere in this world. And we really don't have any excuse for denying the existence of God. Paul writes about this in 1st Romans uh, chapter 20. And he says, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that men are without excuse. He's kind of laying it out there, Paul. He's saying, you know what? (laughs) You think you have an excuse, you really don't. Again, it's like the little kid with the finger in their ears saying, I don't want that. Yeah. So, we've got to go there. Genesis 1. Genesis 1, the creation account, right, which I'm sure most of us are f- familiar with, the Bible opens with the words, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. How awesome is that? If you only knew the first five words of the Bible, you'd know that God's a creator, that he loves to make things. He made you and I. He delights in making you and I, and more you and I's, through you and I. So Genesis 1. It's often claimed that science theory of evolution, have disproved the biblical account of creation. And again, I believe this is a false conflict, and it's caused by errors on both the Christian camps and the evolution slash science camps. So through the scientific method, we know that uh, the universe appears to be approximately 13.7 billion years old. And that the earth is about 4.5 billion years old. Something like that. There are many Christians, many of us in this room, who accept that data. And it doesn't hold any challenges to our faith and our belief in uh, the trustworthiness and inerrancy of this book. And that's fine. I don't believe it poses any problems either. There are also many other Christians who hold to a very literal interpretation of Genesis 1, and they believe that God created the world in literally six 24-hour days, and that the world is approximately, I don't know if it's four or 6,000 years old, something like that. They're known as young earth creationists. And um, I would say this, that I believe God can do anything, and he can do it any way God wants to do it. So if you're somebody... If you're a young earth creationist, I would not dismiss that only because God's capable of anything. But if you don't believe that, it's not a roadblock to the gospel and it's not a roadblock to coming to faith if you have some ideas or beliefs about evolution. You know, here in our movement, we do have a very high view of Scripture. We believe it's the inerrant word of God, that it's a spirit-breathed, God-inspired. So I take this book literally. I do. What do I mean by that? Well, I take it literally. That means understanding that the Bible uses many different literary genres. Okay? If I'm reading Psalms, I know I'm reading poetry. If I'm reading an account by Luke or John or any of of the Gospels, I know I'm reading eyewitness accounts, that I'm reading historical narrative. And if I read Revelation, I know that I'm reading... um, apocalyptic-style writing that uses lots of signs and symbols. So it's really, really important that you understand how to read the Bible, how to take it literally. You know, the problem comes when parts of the Bible, the jury's out on what the genre is. Okay, so it's not so black and white. Okay, this is poetry, this is... Genesis 1 is one of those... one of those occasions where it's hard to really figure out exactly what is this. But I would say I'm, I'm on the same line as, as Tim Keller, who's um, a, uh, a pastor of a Redeemer church in New York. And he says that basically Genesis 1 has all the hallmarks of poetry, and it's a song about the wonder and meaning of God's creation. Does that imply that it's a myth? No, absolutely not. Remember the phone book analogy? Okay, it's just it was not written to address a scientific account of creation. So we've got to be careful about how we read the Bible because it's very, very easy to misinterpret Scripture. Many people do it all the time, both believers and scientists. And when we talk about this, I like to use this analogy. You ever have a song? that you've sung for years, right, like a pop song, right? And there's a bit in the, the lyrics that are just a, a little bit weird. You think, well, no, they don't really make sense. But you sing them, right? Because that's the song, and you've always sung them that way. And then one night you're doing some karaoke, right? And you see the words in front of you. And you're like, oh, that's what those words were. Totally got that wrong. Well, And you're almost kind of annoyed. Well, that's stupid. These are the words, you know, the ones you've been singing. for. Well, there's a British comedian by the name of Peter Kay, and he illustrates this beautifully. And he talks about the song. You know the song, We Are Family? We are family, right? Um, Well, he says for years, there was a bit in that song where he believed the lyrics were, just let me staple the vicar. (laughs) Just let me staple the vicar. Let's take a listen. You tell me who's right and who's wrong here. All of the people around us, they say Can they be that close? Just let me stay for the record Let's listen to it one more time just to make sure. All of the people around us, they say pretty sure those are the words. (laughs) The funny thing was when I preached that a number of weeks ago at the river, (laughs) Sean asked me, what are the real words? I said, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) And then by the end of the service, a gazillion people had Googled it during the service. and be like, these are the real words, which I believe were just let me stake for the record. So, yes, (laughs) I'll save you Googling it because I know you're going to think about it. If we can misinterpret song lyrics, right, how much more can we do that with scripture? Definitely. So, is it possible to be a Christian, to be a strong believer who believes in the word of God and uh, have some, be fine with certain issues of evolution and, and the world being billions of years old? I would say absolutely. I would encourage anybody in this room who is feeling that that may have been a barrier to their faith. that like, wow, if if I'm going to become a true believing Christian, then I have to accept that the world was made in six days. I would say, let that go. Let that go because you can be a believer and still accept a lot about what science teaches us about creation. So let's talk about evolution for a moment. It's important to remember, you don't often get taught this, Evolution is still a theory. It's not a fact. Okay? It is still a theory because there are still lots of holes in evolutionary theory. It is not definitively being proven. That doesn't mean it's not true, but it doesn't necessarily mean that everything we are taught is true as well. Now, if we mean by evolution, Darwinian evolution, that Charles Darwin espouses, and that that teaches we're all descended from a common ancestor going back to a single cell that has evolved through unguided natural selection, then yes, that is irreconcilable with our faith, people who believe we are created by a loving all powerful God. If, however, we understand that there are different forms of evolution and that God may have possibly worked through those different forms of evolution... Then all of a sudden, there's not such a conflict anymore. Here's what I mean: in evolution, there is a there are concepts known as microevolution and macroevolution. Microevolution is small changes over a long period of time. So, for example, you know uh, a beak on a bird slightly changing. Or another great example is if we think of bacteria that are treated by antibiotics and the bacteria becomes uh, resistant to the antibiotic that can be uh, said to be a form of evolution the, the, the bacteria has evolved so that the antibiotic is no longer effective against it there is one thing to note there though that although they evolve the bacteria still stays a bacteria and the bird still stays a bird Macro evolution is a whole different thing, which would suggest that from an ant we can suddenly get a giraffe, and we've just not seen it happen yet. Okay, I say yet because this is where the proponents of evolution will argue: Ah, oh, well, we just have not had a long enough period of a time to observe these changes. Ah, that sounds like a faith statement. <laughs> Another argument that likes to be thrown out there, and this, was a, this is a popular one with uh, Richard Dawkins. Richard Dawkins is a British biologist, um, fa- atheist, famous for his book, The God Delusion. And he argues that the fact that all living things contain DNA, and that we are all related from the smallest organism by the same genetic code, that's a sign that it, you know, it all happened by chance and just evolved. Okay, maybe. But Norman Geisler a theologian, has made a great point. And he says, okay, is this evidence for common ancestry or a common creator? Perhaps we have a common genetic code because a common creator has designed us to live in the same biosphere. That would make a lot of sense when you think about the food chain and how we are all reliant on the world we live in. So, let's recap a little bit. Both science and religion can be good and bad for humanity. The conflict is not really between science and religion. It's between religion and a naturalistic worldview, which believes that everything happened by random chance and unguided process. You can still be a Christian and accept some form of evolutionary process in our creation you don't have to and if you don't believe that that's fine too now ultimately we can keep speculating and pontificating on this till the cows come home but ultimately none of this gets us very far if we don't have faith we don't have faith in our hearts you know faith delights the Lord he loves it when we have faith it says in Hebrews, without faith it is impossible to please God. And I want to just give you another quote from Robert Jastrow. Remember the, uh, the Space Institute planting guy? He says, at this moment it seems as though science will never be able to raise the curtain on the mystery of creation. For the scientist who has lived by his faith in the power of reason, the story ends like a bad dream. He has scaled the mountains of ignorance. He is about to conquer the highest peak as he pulls himself over the final rock he is greeted by a band of theologians who have been sitting there for centuries. It's like a Homer Simpson moment. Oh! So here's where I want to leave us. I want you to take a look at this amazing shot. This is uh, it looks like a painting, doesn't it? But it's actually a shot from the, the Hubble telescope. And uh, NASA has has dubbed it the pillars of creation. That's a little shot of part of our universe. I want you to just look at that for a moment. Digest its majesty. Its beauty. Its infiniteness. Its It's vastness. You know who made that? That's the God we believe in. That's the God we love who loves us. who chose to make it through His Son, Jesus Christ. In 1 Colossians, it tells us that all things were made through Jesus, created through Him and by Him. That Jesus holds all things together. This is our God's handiwork. In the beginning, God created. And I will invite the band back up, and as they're coming up, we started by reading some scripture together. And so I want us to close by reading some scriptures together. This is from Psalm eight. It says, "Let's read together. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars." which you have set in place. What is mankind that you are mindful of them? Human beings that you care for them. You have made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. How majestic is your name in all the earth. You made them rulers over the works of your hands. You put everything under their feet, all flocks and herds and the animals of the wild, the birds in the sky and the fish in the sea, all that swim the paths of the seas. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Let's pray. Dear Lord, Father, creator of all that is seen and unseen, we just we thank you and we praise you for the majesty of your creation. We thank you, Lord, for the gifts of science. We thank you, Lord, for, for the gift of faith, for the gift of your Son. We thank you for the salvation that is offered to us through your Son. And we thank you and we praise you, Lord, that every day is a a moment and a time to worship you, to look at the splendor of your creation, to just shout out thanks, to shout out praise, to bow our heads, to kneel before you and declare that you are our King, you're our Lord and Savior. Beauty that you have made in each and every one of us, Lord, that we are created in your image. That you love us. You're good. Amen. So I'd encourage